Hey everybody, Jason here. Uh, before we get to the show, I wanted to make a little bit of an announcement. Um, if you were uh, wanting to get registered for Appalachian Toyota Roundup and you believe that uh, registration ended the end of July, the organizers of the event have decided to extend registration to August 5th. So you have a few more days to get to it. Uh, if, if you want to attend, go ahead and, and get registered. We look forward to seeing everybody there and uh, having a great time. Uh, that's all. Uh, on to the show. You are listening to the number one Toyota truck and SUV podcast, Toyota Trucks and Trails, with discussions from restorations to racing, interviews with folks from all areas of the Toyota community, product and event reviews, and much more. We are sure to offer something for you, so sit back and enjoy the show. Hey everybody and welcome to Toyota Trucks and Trails episode 16. I am your host Jason Hoffman and with me as usual is enjoying his summer in any way that he can, Rich LaRusso. How you doing Rich? Great Jason, how's it going? Oh, I, I'm actually on vacation as we speak. Hasn't been much of a vacation with the way things have went, but uh, nevertheless I'm not at work so... As they say, a bad day away from work is better than a good day at work. So, <laughs> you get a vacation? I uh, that's insane. I'll have to talk to somebody about that. Uh, I I do. Uh, n- not nearly as much as I would like, but um, yes, I I do. So, you need about four of them. You can make more podcasts that way. Yeah, that that would be that would be nice. Uh, a little more time off work would be a a good thing, but. Broken Toyotas uh, tend to force me to stay at work, so uh, I, I guess I'll uh, I'll be, I guess I'll be doing that for a while unless I get lucky and hit the lottery or, or something along those lines. But uh, <laughs> I'm not not real consistent at buying lottery tickets, so I don't see much chance of that happening either. Wait, broken Toyotas? Come on now, that doesn't happen. That's just that only happens on Jeep Jeep groups. True. Okay, I got you. Um, Let's see. How do I describe what's wrong with mine right now? Um, you broke it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have this unbelievable talent to break the unbreakable. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They don't break. We break them. That's uh, very true. Well, ha- have you been other than just kind of enjoying summer weather? Have you been up to anything? Uh, anything interesting since the last time we recorded? Not too much in the uh, Toyota world, actually. Uh, th- this this week was spent in Nissan land, getting uh, getting the wife's Nissan 4x4 uh, in shape and uh, coping with state emissions and uh, doing some other little things. Or we've got some some lighting projects on that. But uh, my FJ is has been, um, you know, doing great. So I. I've gotten to a point in my build where I just need to take it out and do stuff. And um, because I've got such an action-packed month coming up in, in August and September, um, I'm pretty much riding out the rest of this this month, uh, um, putting, some, putting some funds away and um, sorting out my sway bar uh, link issue, which it's not really an issue. I'm, I'm just slowly building them. 
Nice. Well, I uh, I haven't been up to t- too much myself uh, since the last time I recorded. I guess I did finally get to a salvage yard and got my uh, new-to-me knuckle uh, picked up. I was completely shocked. The, uh, the pull-apart that I went to uh, outside of Nashville had three forerunners or three third-gen forerunners, and uh, I'll be darned if every one of them wasn't a two-wheel drive. So (laughs) the knuckle is exactly the same, but it does give me the added job of completely breaking down a knuckle, pressing the bearings out, pressing the hub out (laughs) and uh, all that fun stuff and pressing my parts back into it. But uh, I guess junkyard parts, a guy probably should have expected to do have done that in the first place. But uh, it was a, it was just a little aggravating (laughs) that I couldn't find a four wheel drive and, and uh, just have a knuckle that I, I, could have possibly assumed was ready to go but yeah yeah come on uh, now that's that's just too much to ask uh, other than that uh i i haven't been been doing anything few few more parts have been showing up slowly and when i get back from this little vacation that i'm on obviously i'm gonna have to go back to work but the next time i get home after that it is going to be thrashed like a madman on on my uh my forerunner to try to get it ready for for roundup so we'll see how how that goes hopefully it'll all come together relatively smoothly actually one one cool thing i forgot to note was that uh i ordered a set of uh window screens for my fj cruiser for the front windows uh and my plan is uh in uh the events uh coming up in in september uh to be able to sleep inside my my fj I've figured out a way to flatten out the back and uh, lay down a mattress pad, and I'm going to see how see how a ventilation isn't too big of an issue. Um, <clears throat> but I figured, well, I can't sleep in there with the windows up if it's going to be too hot. <clears throat> so uh, this place, Gunflint Gear, makes window screens for uh, I think various vehicles, but they're they're magnets and they stick on. And you you could do it yourself, but the prices are so reasonable that you know, time is money, right? So <clears throat> I, uh, I I ordered that, and I'm waiting for him to come in, and I'll uh, follow up with some pictures and stuff like that. Very nice. Well, that'll be cool. Still haven't got all that side of mine figured out yet. It's uh, kind of a trial and error thing, but I guess I will, for the time being, still be using the tent cotton, and hopefully weather won't be too terrible bad before I get something better, something better put together. Tent cots are pretty cool, though. You you have a ton of versatility there. Easy to pack, comfortable to sleep in, and a tent all in one. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I've I'm I've only used mine a few times, but I've been really, pardon me, I've been really happy with it since uh since I got it. Yeah, I didn't think I would enjoy cot sleeping as much as I did, but uh, the uh, ARB room that I that I got sort of sold me sold me on it the uh now if i could just find a nice really lightweight cot you know my my issue isn't really even the weight it's the amount of space stuff takes up sure i uh i figured out after spending several days sleeping in in a tent on an air mattress um i slept pretty well but uh when you get as old as i am getting up off the ground every morning um to to an upright position is uh fairly difficult being able to swing my legs out of the tent cot and 
at least stand up from a sitting position much easier for an old guy like me. Yeah, yeah, that is that is pretty nice. I don't miss having an air mattress. I was always cold on those things. And, of course, I never bought one of those fancy, you know, $400 air mattresses that I see a lot of people using nowadays. I always had the, you know, regular old Coleman inflatable, and I always froze my butt off on those things. Yeah, they are not, uh, not, <laughs> not at all what you want to use in the wintertime. It's actually warmer sleeping on the ground because eventually you warm the ground up under you. And uh, it kind of starts insulating you where an air mattress, you warm the air up and then the air cools off and you never get never get any insulation out of it. So yeah. when it's, you know, cold weather camping, I never use a never use an air mattress. But you really got to pass a lot of gas to warm up a an air mattress. Is that what it is? And, and then it makes it really miserable to try to sleep. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it keeps the bugs away, which is we, important. We don't have bugs in the wintertime. Well, we have some tough bugs. It's just <laughs> is, is that how it works? <laughs> no, no, I'm making this stuff. <laughs> Once again, folks, Toyota Trucks and Trails, just wing it as we go along. Those that have been listening for a while, uh, you know what to expect out of us. Um, just... Forever lowering the bar. <laughs> absolutely uh well what else do we need to talk about right now um how about axles well we can get in get into the main topic uh we had a a really long episode last one so folks this one may be a maybe a little bit shorter but uh let's go ahead and get into the main topic rich and and we'll we'll discuss everything there sounds good all righty Rich, do you know anything about Toyota solid axles? I know the basics, uh, and actually what I know applies to all solid axles and not specifically Toyota. Okay. Well, I, I don't know much about them, so this may be a really short main topic. But <laughs> let, let's go ahead and see if we can uh, can get into this a little bit and, and educate uh, maybe some of the, the guys that are familiar with guys and gals sorry about that uh that are familiar with uh with the newer trucks but we're uh we've been talking about ifs for off and on for the last several episodes and and we want to devote a little bit of time to uh to the other side of the toyota toyota market and, and uh maybe enlighten some of the some of the folks that uh are only familiar with the ifs trucks but uh, I guess to start with, not just Toyota, but most all manufacturers that, that built four-wheel drives for several years used what is technically referred to as a live axle front end or a solid axle front. And Rich, do you think we ought to go ahead and explain what a, what a live axle is versus IFS? Yeah, I think that's, that's worth... Um definitely worth highlighting because I think of a lot, a lot of our listeners just want to start at the beginning uh, as opposed to our more seasoned listeners who are running solid axles are probably going to come in and correct us on a bunch of stuff because uh, basically we are two IFS guys 
talking about solid axles. So this is going to be fun. And uh, <laughs> we should start at the beginning, um, you know, just to get everybody on the same page. Okay. Well, the basics of what a live axle means is that one, one wheel or one tire does not move without affecting the other tire. If one, one tire goes up, it still affects movement of the tire on the other side, or, or if that, that tire goes down, that that's kind of the basics of it. Correct, Rich. Right. And you're, you're speaking to articulation, not wheel rotation. Correct. Correct. Um, a, it's one solid housing that houses the differential and axles. Hub to hub. Solid hub. Solid hub to hub. Right. That's correct. And uh, one of the primary uh, differences, uh, you know, besides the obvious, you know, having this one solid axle is that your ground clearance on a solid axle vehicle is now generally, and this is a very disputed point. So, you know, someone may speak up and say, well, these guys are wrong. And let me just tell you, everybody's right. People measure ground clearance on a vehicle in different ways. Most people measure it from the lowest hanging point on the vehicle to the ground. If that happens to be a solid axle with a big pumpkin or a big diff housing in the center or to the side of it, then your ground clearance is going to be that distance. Other people tend to measure it in, you know, to the center of the vehicle or to the frame, which is generally considered breakover angle. Um, but <clears throat> these are different measurements. They do different things. Um, so for the sake of our conversation, whether it's wrong or not, right, for the sake of our conversation, we're measuring ground clearance from the ground to the lowest hanging point of the vehicle. So in a solid axle situation, your ground clearance in the front is constant. It, it's not really going to change much. Sure, the axle may flex up on one side, but it may flex down on the other. It's basically going to be influenced by your wheel and tire combination and whether or not you're aired down. In an IFS brake, you have a variable front ground clearance because you don't have the pumpkin there. But because both axles can, in theory, flex up at the same time, you could actually end up with less although that's highly unlikely, very doubtful, very extreme situation, but in theory is possible. Correct. I'm going to back up just a little bit, uh, Rich. Let's, uh, let's back up a little bit and, or I, I will back up a little bit and talk about some of the, uh, some of the models that, Toyota offered with a solid axle. Um, just real quick, uh, Toyota started out uh, the 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 very first four wheel drive they built had a, a solid axle, and they continued to use that through the Land Cruiser line um, all the way into the late nineties with the eighty series. Uh, they still use a live axle front in vehicles overseas the 70 series uh which is still in production and I, rich neither one of us are terribly land cruiser 
efficient, but are there any other Land Cruiser models overseas that still run run a solid axle? Do you know? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, well, we'll we'll go with that. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the the Toyota four wheel drive side, uh, when the the mini truck was first introduced in 1979, it was offered with a solid axle, and that continued through 85. After 85, they moved all the mini truck, forerunner, uh, that kind of stuff to IFS. So that's as far as we'll go with that. Essentially, my understanding has been that the axle design that Toyota used has been essentially the same from the very beginning in that they use... Rich, you told me the the specific name for it a little, little while ago uh, when we were talking off off air. Uh, closed. Um, how did you word that? Full float or semi float? No, before that, the uh, boy, I'm coming across sound like a moron here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the Burfield, um, right? Most or or a lot of manufacturers use. Well, let's see. Let's back up a little bit more. Okay, well, those, those are the those are the years roughly, and and some of the models, the the forty series Land Cruiser, the sixty series, the eighty series, those all had uh, a, a solid axle as well as the mini trucks and the very early Forerunners. Rich, do you want to explain a little bit about what the solid axle is, uh, maybe from the differential out? Or, or do you want me to, to kind of go through that a little bit? Well, if, if I mean, essentially, um, from the differential out, it works very similar to, uh, you know, any other differential. There's nothing special about a solid axle differential. It does, you know, without getting into a complete uh, explanation of how a differential works, because, um, you know, we could we could take 20 minutes and get into that part, but um, uh, the the differential you know powers two shafts, uh, and you know we're not talking about lockers, we're not talking about anything any traction aid kind of stuff. Um, the axles go out to the the hubs, um, and there's two different kinds of axles there. Before we get to the hubs. Um, you're going to see full float and semi float, whereas full float is an axle that simply drives a splined hub at the at the end of the the diff housing, and the semi float actually ends in a wheel bearing, and the semi float axles bear the weight of the vehicle as well as the driveline force. Full floats have the advantage because they're that shaft simply powers the <clears throat> simply powers the hubs and the you know the bearings are actually a, usually a, a taper bearing taper wheel bearing uh, which bear the weight of the vehicle so there's a certain advantage there in, in strength because the you know the full floating axle isn't bearing the weight of the vehicle um, <clears throat> from there it ends in the the hubs, which can be open knuckle, which is your U-joint or CV joint style, uh, cardin or double cardin joints, which is 
basically a variation of the of somewhere in between open knuckle and closed knuckle, and then you have the closed knuckle, which is also called the Burfield. Correct, and and the Burfield is what Toyota has used almost, if not from the beginning. I apologize. Uh, some of the listeners probably know the better, the history of this better than I do, but uh, the the Burfield is what Toyota used throughout their run of, of solid axle vehicles. I'm sure whether you've ever owned one or not, you've heard uh, heard other people uh, talk about Burfields and and uh, upgrading Burfields and breaking Burfields and and that sort of thing. But that what what. Uh, trying to think of a good way to explain what the Burfield is and, and why it needs to be there. Um, obviously, on a front axle, the wheels need to be able to turn side to side. And they need to be able to do that while the axles are rotating. Uh, so, in order to do that, uh, as Rich explained, there are several different ways to go about it. A U-joint, a carden joint, double carden joints, or a Burfield. And that, that is basically a way to let the, the wheels turn in a lateral movement, side-to-side movement, or the hub, rather, to turn in a side-to-side -side movement while the axle is still rotating in, in, a, a, in a rotational movement. Is that, am I making sense, Rich, or am I just confusing everybody? Yes. No, you make sense. Um, you're, you're basically explaining that. So as well as turn, they need to, you know, be able to, uh, you know, steer the vehicle. Correct. Um, and uh, the most of the Toyota axles out there are semi-floaters. Let's briefly talk about rear axles. Uh, you know, just about all the new Toyota trucks and SUVs, uh, with some exceptions in the Land Cruiser and slash Lexus world uh, still have a solid rear axle semi float rear axles Toyota did make a full float uh, solid axle but I believe it was in the 80s and it, it, it could be the mid to late 80s that they they had a full floater out there yes uh, the some of the 40 series uh, had a full float rear axle as well from what I understand I know a lot of them overseas did but I know the uh, the full float rear axle is something that's really desirable uh, here in the in North America, where they were either not terribly common or not available but available at all. And the only ones that wound up here were on on vehicles that were imported from you know indirectly from Japan. Yeah, I I think uh, probably that's that's a good topic for a Google search um, is is Toyota full floaters. Um, but you're probably going to see it on the heavier duty or things intended to be heavier duty than uh, civilian use. You know, maybe campers, you know, remember, I don't know if anyone remembers the Toyota camper. Um, <clears throat> but uh, again, the advantage of those full floats and why they're in demand is because uh, the axles aren't bearing the weight of the vehicle. They're simply transferring power from the diff to the hubs. Correct. Correct. Um Okay, I, th I think that's a very basic explanation of of, uh, of a solid axle front end. Um, obviously, uh, 
you have axles inside the tubes. Um, there are inner axles and outer axles uh, with a burr field. Pardon me, on the outer axle. If you've never been a, been around a solid axle, there are are tons of of upgrades, and one of the biggest ones is is upgrading the burr fields. There was a company that is is now defunct. The name still exists, but the the company is defunct. That uh, was probably the largest supplier of upgraded uh, burr fields. Um, I'm sure most of our listeners, if not all of them, are familiar with the name Longfield. Uh, Longfield was one of the the first companies to really step up and and upgrade uh, upgrade the, the the Toyota design and just make a a tougher tougher Burfield. On some of the early Land Cruisers, that was considered to be one of the weak links uh, was the Burfield because if it breaks, unlike a, unlike a U joint where you can just replace the U joint, when the the Burfield breaks. You have to replace axle and all, at least the outer axle where the burr field is is located. But there there are several companies now that produce an an upgraded version of of the burr field to to beef that up. I'm trying to think here, moving moving outward from there. Uh, Rich, do you want to talk a, a little bit about manual and and uh, manual hubs or manual locking hubs? and uh, drive flanges and, and that sort of thing? Well, drive flanges, I can't tell you too much about. Uh, manual locking hubs uh, ba- are just a way to disconnect the uh, front wheel from the axle um, by engaging and disengaging some some splines in the uh, hub assembly. Um, again, I don't know a, a ton about them. Um, I know the basics of how they work. Uh, Having never disassembled one and put one back together myself, I, you know, don't want to speak out of turn. Well, a drive flange just eliminates <laughs> eliminates that maneuver. It, it, oh, makes, okay. it makes a solid solid connection between the uh, the axle shaft and the hub. Whereas a a freewheel hub or a manual hub, you can basically disconnect the hub where it freewheels from the axle where the either the axle can turn without turning the hub or the hub can turn without it without moving the axle now is 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 the manual hub considered to be weaker than the flange uh definitely definitely because a flange is just a solid piece of most of them made out of aluminum or or uh some lightweight material like that but they're they're completely solid no moving parts no no uh Nothing to other than the splines to uh, to create a weak point. Okay. Where <clears throat> a a manual or a freewheel hub, like you said, they have two sets of splines in them. They have the splines that the axle itself drives, and then there is another set of splines inside the the freewheel hub that are either engaged or disengaged uh, manually. Gotcha. So what are the benefits of solid axle over IFS? Uh, the absolute top benefit is there are less moving parts. Um, you still have ball joints. Um, you still have steering linkages and, and knuckles and that sort of thing. 
but with suspension parts uh, versus an IFS, you don't have upper and lower control arms. The ball joints on a, a solid axle function in a slightly different way where they only supply support or movement, rather, in a lateral motion where a an IFS ball joint supplies movement or, or compensates movement in a vertical and lateral movement. So less moving parts, less wearable parts. The axles, people that love uh, solid axle trucks and are 100% for solid axle trucks believe that the axle shafts are, are stronger. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I don't necessarily agree with it either. The one advantage is the biggest problem with an IFS axle is getting it misaligned where you are completely dropped out on one side and you have the wheel turned and you put pressure on it. Uh, they lose a ton of strength when they're completely at their limits, at, at their extremes, right, at their full full range of, of motion. And a solid axle, you never have to worry about that because the, the axle shaft itself stays in a straight line other than if the wheel turns. And if I'm not mistaken, that's, that's the most critical time or the most common time to break a burr field is if you have the wheel turned and put pressure on it. Uh, same way with the U-joint, um, anything else. They, that, they are at their, their weakest point or near their weakest point uh, anytime you have a wheel turned because it's no longer straight force uh, against the moving parts. And, and that does also apply to uh, IFS, although it's, it's the, the part of the axle, part of the CV joint that gets stressed is, is different. It's usually the inner, not the outer, that, uh, you know, when, when it's flexed at extremes and turned, that uh, takes, the, uh, takes the pressure, although the outers can behave in the same way. Uh, and by behave, I mean break in the same way. Correct. Rich, you know, in the in the off-road world, a lot of us guys that, that have IFS trucks, we, we hear constantly that, that we need to put a solid axle under the, under the front of our trucks. And although I probably confused as many people as I informed of anything in my explanation of, of the bonuses uh, of solid axling, what, uh, what are some of the reasons, what are some of the downsides? To a, to a solid axle? Well, <clears throat> they're really, and it, it, it's, a, it's a decision, in my opinion, between trail performance and uh, street performance. In, in uh, <clears throat> solid axles, you know, down washboard roads, higher speed, uh, highway speeds, meaning highway, I mean the pavement, you know, whether it's it's just a road or it is an actual highway. Um, <clears throat> IFS is or a solid axle, excuse me, solid axle it just isn't going to have the same amount of comfort. And you will say, you know, meet some people that say, well, you know, my setup is, you know, just fine. I'm really comfortable. Um, <clears throat> but point is, 
automobile manufacturers went towards IFS to provide a more well-rounded vehicle, something that could perform well on the streets and still get you around off-road. Um, <clears throat> now, IFS isn't typically your rock-crawling kind of kind of thing, whereas solid axle is. <clears throat> and this also has to do with you can get a good deal more articulation out of it. Now, that articulation in a street situation or a high-speed situation, whether that's high-speed trails or high-speed on pavement, <clears throat> that wheel travel can get you in trouble, uh, especially in cornering. So you'll notice if you look at like Baja racing trucks and things like that, desert racing trucks, they're all IFS. Well, why? Because that is the, the better handling at those high-speed environments. But solid axle is always going to win at those slow crawls, you know, and, and they'll always have one tire on the ground, not one necessarily lifting up because they just have that wider range of motion. And, you know, one wheel at least, especially if it's locked, is always going to be on the ground gaining traction. And uh, <clears throat> again, on the street, you know, or for that well-rounded kind of vehicle, you know, that overlands kind of vehicle or that jack of all trades kind of vehicle, solid axle, you know, can be used and people do it. You'll see lots of Jeeps out there that, you know, I said the J word, I apologize, that, that are doing that and they say it's superior and all this, <clears throat> but you will find that they, you know, in high speed situations, whether that's on a trail or on pavement, they, ju they just don't perform as well. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the, uh, there is definitely a place for, for solid axles. I, I take absolutely nothing away from that. I truly believe and, and I truly wish that, that Toyota still offered a vehicle in the North American market that had a solid, solid axle front end. Um, it, it cannot be disputed. Uh, like I mentioned, there are less moving parts. There are you gain more articulation. There are definitely benefits off-road to having a solid axle front end. And I, I will, will never never dispute that. It's a fact. Facts oh, ab ab absolutely. So uh, those people that, that, that believe that I'm completely anti-solid axle, that there's no truth to that whatsoever. I, I hands down agree that, that uh, in many, many ways they are far superior for an off-road truck. However, and, and as Rich said, you will you will find guys that have solid axle trucks that swear up and down that they perform and, and act uh, fantastic on the highway. Again, that, that can be accomplished, <clears throat> I'm sure. But th there is a happy mix on both sides, I, I, I think. I kind of got a little distracted there, Rich. I apologize about that. It's, it's okay. <laughs> and, and you know, it, <clears throat> I'm not here to defend one thing or the other. I say when you pick your vehicle, you choose your vehicle for what you're going to do with it. If you have a dedicated off-road machine, I think a solid axle is a no-brainer. You know, um, on the other hand, if you want something a little more well-rounded that can do, you know, something you aren't necessarily trailering to the trail, something you maybe want to go cross-country in and <clears throat> you're not really interested in, in rock crawling, 
IFS can do a lot. IFS has come a long way. The components have gotten stronger. There's more moving parts, you know, there's, there's, and, and <clears throat> that is, is something to consider. <clears throat> You'll find that if you um, take an IFS vehicle off-road enough, you will sort of become an expert <laughs> in maintaining IFS <laughs> because you've got, you know, you know your failure points, you know your weaknesses. And I think if you are going to wheel IFS uh, and wheel it hard, uh, which which can be done and people do it, um, you really should understand how independent front suspension works, what its weak points are, where you can uh, not, I don't want to say expect failures, but where you, you know, the kind of situations where you should, you know, be aware of, of the limitations that you have, um, because that is where your failures will come up. However, <clears throat> solid axle is, is, dominating the off-road market for sure and it <clears throat> ifs in, t in terms of technology is coming it's catching up and i think more and more you know we'll see vehicles that are ifs that that can that can uh you know keep up uh another thing i wanted to note too is when you're driving or spotting solid axle versus ifs a lot of times the same vehicles can do the same obstacles, but they have to take different lines because of their, whatever their various ground clearances or how they, the tires are going to place themselves. But I found that um, I've seen both kinds of vehicles go up obstacles and the solid axles can't always take the IFS line and the IFS vehicles can't always take the solid axle line. And I think as spotters, <clears throat> this is sort of going off topic just for a second here. As spotters, we have to recognize that the people we're working with are going to have different kinds of vehicles and we need to know how to get them through. Um, oftentimes, being the only IFS guy <laughs> in a group of solid axle vehicles on the trail, you know, I've had a spotter say, well, you know, if you had a solid axle, well, you know, maybe if you knew how to spot more than one kind of vehicle, you know, and <laughs> we could go back and forth on that. Absolutely. Uh, have you met that guy? Have uh, you run into that guy? Before? Yes. Several times. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all have. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's take just a minute, Rich. Um, are there there are options for for the guy that uh, really likes uh, a Forerunner or FJ Cruiser or gets gets a really really great deal buying one, but they they really want a, a solid axle rig? Or are there options for for those folks? Um, yeah, there's there's uh, I believe there's a, a helpline that you can call at the local hospital. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> there are options out there, um, but to the best of my knowledge, there's fabrication and, and welding involved with all of them. If there's not fabrication, there's definitely welding. I have, I don't even know for oil, older Toyotas if a bolt-on kit for any of this stuff exists. And if there was, I would have to say, again, call that helpline because if you were trying to bolt on a solid axle setup, <laughs> you may want to have your head examined. Um, 
but uh, seriously, um, there are, I don't want to say, I hate to say the word kit because it implies more than it really is, but there are quote unquote kits that, you know, some vendors make uh, where, you know, with some welding and uh, probably some minor fabrication, um, you, you can, you know, make the conversion. Um, <clears throat> now, is it cheap? If you're an experienced welder, you know, um, I, I certainly think if you have endless amount of endless time in your life, you could probably buy a welder, take a welding course and uh, buy the parts and do the stuff cheaper than paying someone to labor. Um, but I have seen uh, FJ Cruiser and uh, Forerunner solid axle conversions that cost almost $10,000 to have someone professional and experienced install this stuff. Now, even if I took a welding course, even if I bought a really good welder and bought one of these kits and put it on, I would still <laughs> be a little apprehensive about how well that's going to perform because I am not well-versed in working with solid axles or doing these kind of conversions. I would certainly be interested in you know, either working with somebody or, you know, maybe maybe sweeping the floor in the shop, uh, you know, to to bring the price down or anything to have a professional do this kind of stuff. Absolutely. If I could give anybody any advice on that, may be thinking, you know, that that uh, that that's something that they want to do, uh, do a ton of research be, before you delve into it. I'm, I'm not going to get into it real real deep right now but some vehicles are more conducive to solid axle swaps than than others due to the way that the frames are designed and and that sort of thing like like rich said there uh there are a lot of lot of and i'm saying this with quotation marks kits available uh those those kits as a general rule are not all inclusive uh, for the most part, and I'm I'm not dissing any companies that that make these kits, by by any stretch. But for for this to be done right, folks, keep in mind this is not only what's carrying the weight of the front of your vehicle, but it's also what steers the front of your vehicle and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I I read on on forums and social media all the time when somebody asks about it. Oh, it's no big deal, you know. Just just get in there and do it. Um, Folks, if you're not not experienced with how suspension works and and where where things need to go and how things need to go together, um, a a project like that can turn into a huge mess in in a hurry. So I I would just just recommend doing a a, a ton of research on your you know what whatever vehicle you have or or whatever vehicle you're you're looking at there's there's tons of information out there and any off-road shop worth their salt you you don't necessarily have to take it to them but uh see if you can get them to talk to you about it and, and uh at least you know walk you through the highlights of it and give you so you have a a firm understanding and a, a really clear picture of of what you're getting into yeah and and in defense of these shops a lot of people shop by price tag and they you know they'll go to a shop and get a quote and say oh my god that's you know so much money the parts only cost this much you're paying someone you know it's like going to college okay you're definitely not paying for the food 
And you're definitely not paying for the housing. You're paying for the knowledge or, well, at least you should be. Maybe not in today's modern colleges. Some of the stuff they teach is questionable. But the idea is that you're paying someone for their knowledge and experience to do this work the right way. Just as much as, you know, I wouldn't uh, do the plumbing in my house, you know, I would I would have someone do it. it. It's the same with my vehicle. And of course, I want to learn um, along the way. <clears throat> but uh, if if I were to do that, I think my vehicle would be laid up for quite quite some time. What I see some of my friends have done and stuff They've they've built up an IFS rig and they've said, you know, I want to go to the next level. I really want something, you know, that's a dedicated trail rig and I can climb over boulders and, you know, I can roll it over and, you know, just push it back over and drive away. <clears throat> what a lot of people are doing is buying the older Toyota mini trucks uh, and, and finding them used. And, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times they're all already solid axle putting a little bit of money into it plus the cost of the vehicle and still coming out ahead of converting their IFS to solid axle. Absolutely. I, I, in, again, just, just my opinion, folks, you have to do live your Toyota lifestyle the way that, that you, you want to, but, um, just my opinion. I, I think that a person is far better off Unless you are building a, a rig from the ground up, trail only only rig, I think the average person is probably better starting out with a vehicle that is is already solid axle. Is designed for it. Is is designed for it. Yeah. Um. Again, I I'm in no way trying to discourage anybody. I I love fab work. I I live to to fab stuff. That that is where my my heart and passion is that that's one of my favorite parts of off-roading but a full-on solid axle swap i'm with rich if i was to start on that with my forerunner um i would be out of the wheeling scene for the next seven years uh, <laughs> it's just just because i it, it it there's a huge investment in time alone to do it and uh and we're not getting any younger exactly and I, I don't move as fast as I used to. So <laughs> even 20 years ago, I'm pretty sure it would have took me a, a good deal of time to get it done. But And, and another thing, um, get, just getting back to the solid axle conversion kits, a lot of times it doesn't stop at just the axle and just the axles that go into it and the hubs or if there are any. It doesn't stop there. Most of those um, companies that sell the kits – that's not including coilovers, okay? So you're going to drop a couple grand on a kit maybe, and then a couple, you know, what, what's, what's a set of good coilovers nowadays, you know? I mean, you're not, not going to go through all this trouble and slap ranchos on there, right? Sure. So not that there's anything wrong with ranchos, but, you know, they may not make something that fits. Yeah, that's it. So, um, you know, you're going to you're going to go for those king coilovers or those icons or whatever the heck. And, you know, that's that's at least another thousand fifteen hundred or more 
uh, for those fancy coilovers. Now, oftentimes people do these conversions and now their front axle is stronger than their rear axle. <laughs> you know, you've, you've put all this into the front end and, oh, but I still have the old Toyota 8-inch on the back end, but now my vehicle sits so high on the solid axle, I can fit 42-inch tires on it. So now I need to upgrade the rear axle. And it just spirals out of control. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like, like most fun projects, um, and, and if you work the way I know Jason works the same way I do is you, you don't, you don't just go in and do the one thing and leave, <laughs> you, you know, while you're there, you know, you have to upgrade that steering box, you know, because you you don't have a rack and pinion anymore. So now you've got a steering box. You need a good steering box because now you've got these enormous tires you're trying to turn. So <clears throat> these projects have a way of, of getting away from you, starting out with a solid axle rig. Absolutely. Best way to go. If you want a dedicated trail rig. I agree completely. Rich, before we, we bore everybody to, to death. Um, I think they got the point. I, I, I would like to throw out there that if there are any listeners that, that feel like they're really, really well versed in, in solid axles and, and you want to correct us, um, feel free to. Uh, if you think that you can can add to what rich and i said and and improve on the conversation and, and you'd be willing to do an interview on the show um rich and i neither one uh are are experts on any of this stuff we're just uh doing the best we can to to give our opinion on a few things so if uh if anybody out there listening wants to uh wants to do an interview and and go uh, more in depth than than rich and i just did on on solid axles and, and Toyota solid axles and that kind of thing, uh, or live axles, however you want to term it, uh, feel free to get in touch with, with us. Um, we, we would love to have somebody on that has, has more knowledge than we do that, that could get it out to everybody else. Yeah. I would love to get a fabricator who's, you know, well-versed in doing solid axle, uh, Toyota conversions on here and, and interview them and, talk about you know the kind of stuff they run into and what their customers want and where they're headed with their with their uh, vehicles um, <clears throat> I think one of the most important things for anybody who's buying a vehicle uh, of, of any kind for whatever purpose you, you you buy your vehicle based on your needs okay so if you're a plumber or an electrician or some you know a tradesman you probably want you know <clears throat> a good pickup truck right so by the same token, if you want to get into exploring or traveling or something like that, you want to pick a vehicle that's that's going to be well suited for it. And if you want to get, you know, get into rock crawling or, you know, um, uh, rock, uh, rock bouncing or something like that, you buy you, you select the vehicle accordingly, taking a vehicle you love and trying to convert it to do some other job is just you know, again, there's a helpline you can call <laughs> because um, you, you're going to need a lot of money, a lot of patience. Absolutely. Well, with that, Rich, let, let's uh, let's call that a main topic. And uh, again, you know, hopefully we'll get some feedback on this and, and maybe somebody listening will uh, will be willing to step up and maybe even educate us a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely, and we appreciate it and welcome it. Absolutely. Well, let's move out of this and, and move on.
what do we got now, Rich? How about uh, we? Do we have any listener feedback this week? Are, are our listeners getting more active with us? Yes, they are. We've got some really great uh, listener photos submitted. Uh, <clears throat> from we've got one from Jesse Watkins spotting a 2016 Forerunner. Looks cool. And our buddy Dan um, <laughs> with his <laughs> FJ Cruiser flexed out the evil FJ. He's left us some nice feedback and actually a, a question uh, that I want to get to. Uh, let me find it really quick here. Let's see, Dan. What are you doing to me now? It's always Dan is always on me. Let's see. Okay. Dan wants to talk about skid plates a little bit, and I was going to just answer him on the website where he submitted his question, but I thought I would do it here. Um, <clears throat> Dan's asking about skid plates. Um, he, he's saying that a full skid set is not in his budget right now, which I completely understand. Now he's in FJ cruiser world, which is the same as, uh, you know, the new generation Forerunner world where everything costs uh, just shy of a million dollars. It sounds about right, Jason. Um, everything's expensive. A full set of skids is, is not cheap. Um, so he's asking, um, you know, what is the most critical, um, part that he should be considering protecting and uh, you know all these new Toyotas come with some some factory skid plates on them uh, and if you've ever removed them or or smashed them on something um, you'll find that they're really not much stronger than a metal garbage can lid okay the garbage can lid may even be stronger um, <clears throat> they tend to crumple they tend to crush in things like that they'll give you some some light protection so uh upgrading the skid plates certainly great idea something i recommend to everybody um people just getting into um traveling off-road or whatever they want to do there's different schools of thoughts you know what should i get first should i do uh you know lift and tires or should i do armor i tend to steer people towards armor because your stock Toyotas can do so much the way they are, and you really get to learn the vehicle. And learning on a stock vehicle is actually a ton of fun. Of course, having no traction due to tires and no ground clearance due to lift can you know, make you hit things more. But on the other hand, if you have the armor, you're not cringing as much when you do hit something. So I, I really tend to ste st steer people more towards armor than anything else. And again, <clears throat> different schools of thought. Some people are going to um, provide these really great, and I'm not being sarcastic, really great arguments for doing lift and tires first. But I'm not, and, and I'm not saying they're wrong. It's just personally, I recommend people always go with armor first. So if you can't get a full set of skids, <clears throat> what should you protect? Well, <sighs> it's a tough call. It really is. Um, things are so close together in these trucks. Your, your, the front engine skids are so big, they actually tend to cover part of the engine and transmission. So that's a good call. Um, but on the other hand, usually where you get high centered on these vehicles is where the transfer case is. So, you know, upgrading that transfer case skid, you know, is also a good idea. Here's the problem. 
I haven't seen too many skid plate sets that don't work with each other. In other words, you can't just <clears throat> replace a transfer case skid, put some other transfer case skid, because a lot of these skid setups depend on each other and they tend to overlap and they get their strength from each other. So just replacing one in the middle, I can't really say that that's a great idea. I would just save your money, get a full set of skids, you know, uh, a lot of people save a few bucks by not getting a gas tank skid. Um, <clears throat> again, you have to look at your wheeling style. What are you doing? You know, what kind of things do you think? Are you just running trails and, you know, scraping every here and there? Well, then maybe, uh, you know, maybe you can skip that gas tank skid. I know I've left mine off for quite some time now. I own one. It was on there, but to save weight, I ended up removing it. Um, and I really don't hit my gas tank too much actually what i what i'm good at is crushing my muffler and and no one makes a skid plate that protects that but um another question dan had is steel versus aluminum skids and this is something i feel very partial to steel over aluminum uh and again there's lots of great arguments for each uh material there's you know aluminum's going to save you some weight um, they claim it's str as strong as steel and, you know, maybe with the right reinforcement and the right thickness, maybe it is. Um, but in my experience, one thing I found is when I smashed my skid plates in, which I have, and, you know, I, I have the photographic evidence to prove it. Um, when I need to bang them back into shape, it's a lot easier to get the steel back into the shape or near where it was before I smashed it. Aluminum has that tendency to stretch more when it gets crushed in. And so when you pound it back out, it's just the, the, the bolt holes never are where they were once you get it relatively flat again. So, um, you know, the skids do have to come off periodically, whether you've got to do some maintenance or, or uh, you just like to take them off and clean, which I do. I take my skids off twice a year. Um, and <clears throat> it's really the only way I can get, I can get at the transfer case fluid. Uh, and it certainly makes the changing the front diff fluid a lot easier with the skids off. Um, so, uh, and any transmission work I need to do, you know, if I want to, um, drop the pan and, <clears throat> you know, just get a few, uh, quarts of fluid out. It's certainly a lot easier to do with the skids off with the skids on. Can you do these things? Yeah. Is it an enormous pain in the wazoo? Yes. <laughs> so, um, but it's also good to take your skids off uh, once or twice a year, clean everything, you know, up here in the Northeast, we're fighting rust. You know, when I take my, my skids off, I found sticks, rocks, you know, f dried up frogs. A friend of mine found a fish once. <laughs> um, you, you know, it's just it's just good in there to get in there and, and clean up and do a little rust prevention, rust fighting, and uh, you know, and um, another uh, tip I'll pass on for anyone working with skids is to anti seize your bolts, and uh, which means yeah, you may have to periodically check and make sure they're tight, but. All these new Toyotas have <clears throat> those little weld nuts in the frame that hold the skids on. And, uh, you know, once once the bolt freezes in there and you try and try and loosen it and it just starts spinning, uh, 
you know, your, your adventures have just begun. So <clears throat> it's a good idea to use some stainless steel bolts. Um, you, you don't necessarily need grade 12 or grade 10 or grade 8 bolts. Stainless steel is fine to hold some skid plates on. That and a little bit of, uh, I use the Permatex brand, Anti-Seize, um, works great. And, <clears throat> you know, I have snapped off some frame nuts and, you know, we can talk about that another time. But, um, <clears throat> again, just to recap, you know, save your money, get a set of skids. Uh, like I said, they tend to depend on each other and bolt to each other. Uh, they bolt to the frame as well, but they, they really work off each other. They're designed in sets for a reason. Um, piecing them together doesn't always work. And, uh, you know, I know with the uh, FJ Cruisers, and this is probably the same between the generations of Forerunners, um, they made some changes <clears throat> between the first and second generations of FJ Cruisers where um, the the older model skid plates don't bolt up to the newer models. The, the holes have been moved around. So your, 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 your bolting points have been moved around. So, you know, that's all things to consider, you know, but save up, get a set. I, I recommend steel. It's a little heavier, but it's, it's, you know, going to hold up better. You can bang it back into shape better. Um, the aluminum, sure, it may <clears throat> be lighter duty, may save you a few pounds, but if you're kind of doing like overlanding and you're just like running some trails and not really, you know, dragging the belly of your vehicle across rocks and things like that, um, you know, aluminum may be a better choice. It's, you really have to look at your needs and your budget and put it all together, but Armor isn't something I would skimp on. Armor isn't, you know, my first set of skid plates, I bought a very popular brand of skid plates. And I don't like to slam companies or anything like that. There's products I like to use and products I don't like to use, but I'm not going to slam a company. But this particular company's transfer case skid um, basically folded in half and was, you know, rubbing up against my transfer case. And, you know, I had to take it down. And I ended up... Uh, getting rid of them and uh you know banging them back straight i sold them off to somebody took and taken a huge loss on what i paid for them warns the next owner hey this is the problem i had you're going to have the problem and he was a welder and he straightened it out himself but <clears throat> the point is uh there's certain brands i would recommend over others and i can't really get into that but um definitely do your homework and see what most people are using and why they're using it, why they recommend it, and that those costs might be a little more, but let me tell you something, $800 on skid plates is a lot better than a $5,000 transmission job. Absolutely. Uh, Dan also asked my opinion on, on needing skid plates before Roundup. Um, if, uh, if you want to run any moderate trails, I personally would recommend doing the best you can to get them on there before before Roundup. The uh, the rocks in Tennessee are abundant, and uh, unless you're going to stay on really mild trails, um, there is a, a really good chance at least once or twice that you're going to be in a be in a situation where uh, I wouldn't so much they would say I would say skid plates will be necessary, but they'll def definitely give you a little more peace of mind in protecting the the undercarriage absolutely 
And, uh, you know, Dan, if you if you need any recommendations on brands you can look into, I would certainly <clears throat> the, the skids I run and that I recommend to people when they ask me are Bud Bilts. I think that's probably the standard for many Toyotas. And I think he's making skids for other products now. Um, <clears throat> he's a great guy to work with. Um, his products are are solid. I, I can't say enough good things about the quality that goes into those uh, those skids. <clears throat> For aluminums, you may want to look at the ricochets. They're very popular. A bunch of my friends run them. Never had a problem. Again, you still have the same pitfalls you do with any other aluminum plate. Um, I've never run them personally, so I can't really tell you too much about them. But um, from you know my friends' feedback and seeing their performance on the trail, I would I would say that that's another product worth looking at. Um, there's numerous other brands, and you know I understand that by not mentioning them, I'm sort of playing favorites here. I'm not. You know, definitely do your homework. <clears throat> there's as many skid opinions on skid plate brands as there are belly buttons. Okay, so you know, I think at the end of the day, anything is better than nothing <laughs> and anything is better than the stock toyota skid plates so <clears throat> you know with that in mind you know maybe a good deal or something will come up but let your needs dictate what you're going to buy uh, and save your money absolutely dan hope that answers your question and and gives you a little bit of food for thought and and something to uh something to ponder on for for a little while don't wait too long because uh roundup will be here before you know it so uh he's gonna need a gofundme <laughs> i need a gofundme <laughs> <laughs> what uh what kind of skids are you running uh right now i have uh skid row off-road skid plates uh a company out of pennsylvania that uh at the time that i bought them they had very very uh competitive uh prices to to everybody else and and for the most part they have held up really well i have freely admitted in, in the past that I, <clears throat> my forerunner has been been uh, somewhat abused over the years and i could stand to replace my skid plates uh not that they're not doing a job of protecting anymore but they are getting nearly impossible to remove and reinstall so mm. uh they they but they they've taken a beating. I mean, it it uh, it's not. I wouldn't wouldn't say that it's been a failure on their part. Um, just they've been well used. Um, and they're steel. Yes, yes, steel. And what are your? Or Pardon? let me say, alu aluminium. What are your thoughts on aluminium skid plates? You know, I I have never really been around them, but and of course the people that buy them. Um, probably are not going to admit that they don't work as well as they thought they, they would. But the, the aluminum skid plates uh, manufactured by, by credible manufacturers tend to be a slightly thicker material. Uh, average steel skid plates are 3 sixteenths. Most of the aluminum skids that I've looked at have been quarter inch, which is still, you know, the, the plate itself is still going to be lighter than, than the steel. And... Uh, just in my opinion, I, I, I think that uh, one is as good as the other. A few of the downsides to aluminum, like you mentioned, 
uh, aluminum tends to stretch instead of just dent. And they also gall. What, what I mean by that is a, a hard piece of plate steel, when, when you get on a rock, um, although it's going to scrape it, it, it will slide over. Where aluminum, th- that rock is mm. going to tend to dig in a little bit. And, right. It's and, a more porous material. Sure. Uh, it it come, Coming with being lighter weight, it's also uh, uh, slightly softer or considerably softer than, than steel. Do I think that makes them a, a bad option? Absolutely not. I, I think it comes down to, uh, to buyer's choice. And my personal opinion is as long as you're buying them from a quality manufacturer, you're going to get a quality product. So I, I, I'm sitting here trying to think of, uh, of the company that I've been looking at for, for new skids for mine. And it, it has nothing to do with not wanting to support Bud at Bud Built. Um, like you said, the guy builds builds an awesome, awesome skid plate. But there's other manufacturers out there that uh, smaller guys that I feel like uh, can use some some support too. And and uh, I've been looking at some of those those different places for uh, for replacements are just not not in the budget right now. So I'm gonna have to keep dealing with what I have. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's stopping the rocks from going through the oil pan, I mean, that really is the most important thing. Sure. Um, what are your feelings? I now I have some outspoken feelings on this topic, <laughs> so I'm going to try and, and, and maintain some restraint, but what are your feelings on rear diff skids? Uh, it depends on how you're using your vehicle for somebody like you and I that kind of enjoy just trail riding and, and that kind of thing. And we're not, not doing rock crawling and that kind of stuff. I don't believe they're necessary. Uh, now I, that comment may come back to bite me at some point, but <laughs> at this point in the game, I just feel like it's money that could be spent elsewhere. For somebody that is building a hardcore rock crawler, they are almost a necessity, you know, right along with belly skids and and that kind of thing. Uh, protect everything that could come in come in contact with a uh, with a rock. The rear housing, rear Toyota housings, especially the center section of rear Toyota housing, they are known to not uh, not be terribly strong. So, you know, if you're if you're rock crawling, the last thing you want is to uh, to slide down a rock off the differential and either have it peeled open and lose all your your gear oil on the ground, or slip trying to go up a ledge or something like that and back into a rock and cave that housing into the ring gear because uh, both of them are gonna going to make for a really bad day Mm. yeah i've seen some designs where you know they tend to bolt up around the uh, third member and uh basically use uh u-bolts to uh fix around the axle tubes and uh you know most recent experience i can recall uh, a friend of mine had had tapped his and and when i say tap it he really didn't hit it hard um, it shouldn't have happened. So maybe it was an installation error, but we're not going to go down that path. The way it, it fixes on is it, it sort of clamps around the um, where the drive shaft bolts onto the uh, pinion input shaft, sure. uh, input flange there. And <clears throat> when he tapped it, it had pushed forward, pushed this this clamping uh, mount forward. You know, which that clamp mount is essentially 
almost like a roll bar clamp, you know, with the two Allen head bolts in it and, and uh, pushed it forward to where when his drive shaft spun the, the bolts on that were, you know, holding the U, U joint onto the, um, <clears throat> onto the uh, flange, those bolts were rubbing against the, uh, the diff and and it was a what's what the hell is that noise kind of situation where we were didn't really think about it at first uh and then when we figured it out you know a hammer and a pry bar <laughs> fixed it um but it, it's just one of those things um <clears throat> you know for for mild use it, it it can certain designs can create a problem that you wouldn't ordinarily have sure and and that's another thing that i would suggest to anybody listening is any of this stuff do your research and Read reviews and, and and that kind of stuff on all these different different pieces of protection and armor and and that sort of thing. Lord knows there's there's hundreds of companies that that build this stuff and they all try to do it a little bit different and and you know catch their their little piece of it what they think is important. So uh, look into it and and kind of figure out what uh, what you think is going to be best for for your application. You know, we, we say it over and over, let your needs dictate what you're going to what you're going to purchase or what modifications you're going to make. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people, you know, think they need more than they actually need. And this is where a little bit of spending time in the community, asking questions and uh, learning about products and, and doing a little self-education and researching things on your own is really going to pay off because in the long run, um, you may buy a couple parts that are more expensive, but on the other hand, you're going to save yourself a bunch of parts you, you didn't need. Sure. Absolutely. Therefore saving yourself money. It's, it's easy to shop by price tag with this stuff on, on these vehicles. And, and, and I, that can really bite you in the ass. You know, you can save some money and either cause yourself a repair or end up replacing something that, and you know, <laughs> in the long run, uh, you shouldn't have had to replace. And a lot of people say, well, it comes with a warranty. Here's my, st- <laughs> I'm on my soapbox now, Jason, look out. <laughs> um, here's my stance on warranties. Warranties are great, but when you're broken down in the middle of nowhere, the warranty doesn't do anything for you. Absolutely. Warranties only work in your driveway. When you're in, in the worst possible situation, Knowing you have a warranty <laughs> isn't going to ease your pain. Sure, it's it, it, you know you may you may save some money when you get out of it, but you're still having to make that angry phone call to the manufacturer to get your warranty claim. And of course, you know they're not just no one who has a warranty just doles the parts out. Okay, you have to fight for everything. I, if you've ever dealt with any warranty situation, there's very few manufacturers that'll say, "Oh, oh, it broke. Oh, we'll we'll ship a new one right out to you." Those are the minority. <laughs> Most manufacturers are going to say, well, what were you doing that you broke it? <laughs> you know, did you install it right? They're going to they're going to push back a little bit. So <clears throat> warranties are great and all. And almost everything has some form of warranty on it. Almost everything. But warranties do not get you home. Warranties do not get you off the trail. So when someone says, well, it comes with a good warranty, you're really just justifying a, a what could be a crappy purchase in the first place. Right. All right. Well, we got completely derailed from... <laughs> Let's blame Dan. <laughs> Dan, it's all your fault. 
Dan, this is your fault. We're completely sidetracked. Now we're on soapboxes. Look at what's happening. Uh what about any more listener feedback? Do we do we have anything else? <laughs> I think I think after this, people are going to be afraid to <laughs> come back. Um, Drew, I hope right. Drew, I hope I'm not mangling your last name. Drew Roshan, I hope that's correct, uh, is showing us his uh, Tacoma uh, that he has uh, named the Green Bastard. <laughs> Uh, and it looks pretty cool. He's got it set up with a, a rooftop tent and, uh, and an awning, and he looks like he's uh, he's a uh, pretty pretty healthy camper. He's he's got all the right gear out there. Um, so you can check out uh, Drew's truck and and also Dan, who we just talked about skid plates with. Uh, you can check out their rigs on our website. Uh, 